with Jesus. What it looks like to, to follow him and to trust in him. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, as we continue our, our, our talk through the gospel of Luke and see what it is to have faith in him. And so we begin in verse 1 here, and it says, After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick, and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. Will you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that at this morning, as we get to experience uh, the joy of I've seen children uh, worship you and, and be a part of this service. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, be with us during our time remaining. God, that you would teach us your truth, that you would change our hearts and change our lives by the, the way that you speak into them. And God, that that change would not stop with us, but God, that we would be the change needed in the world around us. God, that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the power of the gospel that happens in our hearts, God, that we would be able to, to change uh, the people in our lives. God, that we would be able to be that change that is so needed. God, help us to walk in faith today. Help us to walk in trust of you and you alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this morning, as we begin in Luke chapter 7, we see this man who's going to come and meet Jesus. This encounter, uh, this first man that we're going to see in this, this seventh chapter is a man who comes and encounters Jesus. His name, we don't know, but we know that he's a centurion. He's a man who would have been responsible for like a hundred soldiers or so. Uh, He would have been a man within the Roman army that would have been responsible for discipline, for keeping the soldiers in line, for making sure the chain of command was not broken. This would have been a, a, a fairly important man in his day. He would have been someone you wanted to listen to when he spoke. He would have been someone that commanded a bit of respect for the people underneath him as he uh, commanded them and and what they ought to do and what they ought not to do. And so he's a man of some significance in Jesus' day and in Jesus' culture. Well, he's also someone who has a slave. It says here, servant, better translated slave, who is sick. He doesn't have to care about his slave, but he does. In fact, he is very concerned about this the servant of his that is going to lose his life if he doesn't get better. And, and so he has this high regard for the slave that lives in his house. And so we come to verse 3 and we see that the centurion is no ordinary man. He's not what you would typically think of when you think of a hardened Roman soldier who is in charge. When you come to verse 3, it says, When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent, him to, sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And so this centurion, this man who had a hundred or so soldiers under his command, hears about Jesus. I've been hung up on that phrase a a little bit this week as as I think about this centurion. He didn't just happen upon this knowledge about Jesus. No, someone actually told him about him. I was reminded as I was preparing this sermon that we have a responsibility to tell folks what Jesus has done. We have a responsibility to tell folks about who he is and what he is doing and what he has promised to do. Because how else are they going to hear? And so this centurion hears about Jesus. He hears what Jesus has been doing. He hears who Jesus is. And so he sends to him some elders of the Jews, some leaders from the Jewish community. And they are to ask Jesus on behalf of the centurion... Please come heal my slave. Please come heal this person who lives in my house, who I have responsibility for because I care for him. And so we come to verse 4. 
And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly. They begged Jesus, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. And so they're explaining the character of this centurion. He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation. And he is the one who has built us our synagogue. And so this man who would have been responsible within the Roman army, this hardened man, cared about the Jewish people. He cared about these people who he didn't have to care about. He cared about these people who were peons to him. These were folks who were not necessarily folks that he had to worry with. But he did anyway. He cared greatly for them, so much so that he built their church. He built their synagogue, the place where they gathered to to discuss God's word. These Jewish leaders have respect for him. But then we come to verse 6. And this is where I want you to see the, the character of faith. This first nature that we see of faith, this first characteristic of faith. And Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, far from the centurion's house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. This man whose soldiers listened to when he spoke, this man who the Jewish nation respected, who the Jewish nation apparently owed him quite a bit of respect and thanks and gratitude, This person who the people in the community had respect for, as Jesus is approaching him, he says, you don't have to come all the way to my house. You don't have to come inside my house. I'm not even worthy for you to darken my door. The reason why he would say this is because in the Jewish culture, they believed that for them to enter into a Gentile's house was to become unclean. That for them to enter into a Jewish or a Gentile house, a non-Jewish person's house, that meant that they were unclean now in God's eyes. And so that's the way they thought about the world. And this man knows this. He knows that's their custom. But he says, no, you, you don't have to come in my house. Yet you don't have to come all the way over here. Don't worry. I'm not worthy of your presence. Think about culturally what he is saying, guys. This is a man who works for and is in charge of the the basically the invading nation he's in charge of the army he can make people do whatever he wants jesus is part culturally speaking socially speaking he's part of a subjugated people like they don't really get to decide what to do when the soldiers tell them to do something they sort of got to do it but this man is more than a soldier he's a man who commands a hundred soldiers he's a man of some substance he's a man of some authority and he looks at jesus and he says you're not i'm not even worthy for you to enter my house in fact in verse 7 he says therefore i did not presume to come to you he says i have so much respect for you i have so much respect for who you are i didn't even want to come to you to just in case that might cause you some issue i didn't want to come to you just in case that might cause you some problem this man in his humility respects jesus so much that he says, listen, you don't owe me anything. You don't even owe me the respect of coming to my home. You don't even owe me the respect of me coming and seeing you face to face and me telling you what I want you to do. No, that's why I sent some other folks in my place to beg you to come and listen to me, to beg you to come and heal this person that's in my home. Because you want to talk about humility this morning. You want to talk about what it looks like to be humble. This man is the epitome of humility. He is saying I could command you, but I would rather show you respect and beg you. I could tell you what to do, but I know who you are, and so I want to show you respect, and I want to show my humility to who you are. And so then, look at the end of verse 7. 
He says, therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. And so this man says, listen, I I know what's up. I know who you are. I I have a sense of what's going on here. He says, all you got to do is speak the word and my servant will be healed. He says, I understand authority. I understand that if I want something done, I tell someone and they do it. Like I speak and it happens. I speak and this servant goes. I speak and that soldier goes. I speak and this person does what I want them to do because I too am a man of authority. I'm someone who is set under authority. So I know that if you simply speak the word, it will happen. If you simply say for this to happen, it will take place. You don't even have to be physically present. To which Jesus says, it's, it's interesting, Jesus, it says that Jesus marveled at this man's faith. The only time that Jesus ever marvels in the Gospels, two different places. The only time he's ever amazed, the only time his jaw ever drops, two different places. This place, at this man's faith. And then in Mark's Gospel in chapter 6, where Jesus goes home, and he preaches to the people in his hometown. He heals all these people in his hometown. He's doing these amazing things in his hometown. And the people in his hometown say, who is this guy? And this, oh, Joseph's son, isn't he the son of a carpenter? Who does he think he is coming around here telling us what to do? Like he has some kind of authority or something. And it says that Jesus marveled at their unbelief. His jaw dropped at the fact that they refused to believe in him so hardly. They were, they were so stubborn that they refused to listen to him. But here we see that the opposite is true, not, not of the Jewish people, but of this Gentile soldier. Jesus' mouth drops and he says, hey, hey guys, it's like he turns around to the crowd and he says, hey, I want you all to hear this. I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. I want you to see what is going on here. He says, I have not found faith this great even in Israel, even in the people that God sent me to speak to. Even in the people God sent me to save, I've not seen anyone believe the way that this man does. I haven't found faith like this. This man who believes that I'm able to accomplish whatever I say to happen and, and make it happen, whether I'm face-to-face or not. You, you see, this, this man believed that Jesus didn't actually have to stand in front of him to make it happen. He didn't have to see it with his own two eyes. He didn't need proof with his own two eyes. All Jesus had to do was say, hey, heal that servant, and this man would be healed. And so Jesus says, this is the type of faith that amazes me. This is the type of faith I want you to have. The type of faith that says, you know what? You don't have to make any special occasion on. You don't have to make any special arrangements on my behalf. Simply speak the word and it'll happen. You see, true faith is a faith that humbly believes in the authority of Christ. Faith that walks with Jesus is a faith that says, I... I don't need you to make special arrangements in my case. I don't need you to do special stuff just to get me to believe. I will believe you no matter what. I will honor you no matter what. This man, he could have demanded his rights. He could have said, well, I demand you come here. Wouldn't have worked out well for him. And he knew it. He knew that he couldn't command anything of Jesus. 
He knew ultimately where all the authority lied, and that was with him. I, see, what I'm afraid of is that very often when we come to him, when we come to Christ, we have this list of demands, and if he doesn't meet the demands the way that we want him to meet the demands, we're like, well, I'm not listening to you then. I'm not obeying you then, unless you do exactly the way I want you to do it, the, when I want you to do it. But instead, this man humbly submits to his authority. And then secondly, this morning, if we're to walk with Christ, we're to walk in faith that believes in his care, his compassion, and his love for us. We see this in verse 11 of chapter 7 here. It says, Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who died, who had died, was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town that was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report went about him, uh, about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. And so Jesus is walking from town to town, and in one town he comes into, Nain, he's, there's a, a funeral procession going on. And this funeral is for the son of a widow who's already lost her husband and she has one son left. Her family is being carried out to the burial site. This is it. She's lost everything. You can imagine the pain that she must feel. Imagine the hopelessness and the loss that she has to feel at this moment. There's a huge crowd following as well, apparently aware of the, the pain that she's going through. And it says that Jesus looks on her and has compassion. His heart breaks for her the the word here for compassion in the in the in this culture they they use the word compassion to describe the feeling that you get in your guts like his stomach tied in knots when he looked at this woman he, he was deeply moved with a concern and love for her as he looked at her in pain and so he says to her don't weep there's no reason for you to continue on in sorrow he walks up. If you, if, you, if you want to ruin a funeral, you invite Jesus, right? I mean, so he walks up and he says, hey, young man, I say, get up. And, and these, these guys who are carrying the stretcher with this young man who had died stop. And this young man raises up. So he sits up in the stretcher. That would have been kind of crazy, right? But he goes ahead and talks, which I thought was interesting. Luke includes that in there. And he began to speak. That's, that's kind of important, right? I mean, can you imagine him just kind of sitting and staring at everybody? That would freak everybody out. No, but he begins to talk. I don't know what he was saying. I don't know if he was like, what's up? Or why y'all staring at me? But he begins to talk to them. And as, after he begins to talk to them, it says that Jesus hands this man, or he gives this man back to his mother. He heals her broken heart. He, he brings a, a, a sense of compassion and concern to this woman's life so that her broken heart is healed. As I thought about that, I thought... How important is it for us to know that Jesus, when he looks at us and our hurt and our pain and our suffering, he looks at us with compassion. He looks at us with concern. Guys, the truth is, until we really truly believe that Jesus has authority, until we truly really believe that we ought to submit ourselves to him, and until we truly really believe that he actually does love us and want the best for us, we'll never follow him. 
We'll follow him as long as things are easy, as long as nothing hurts, as long as he doesn't cause us to do anything that makes us uncomfortable. But as soon as things begin to be painful, as soon as things begin to be hurtful to us, if we don't believe that he has our best interest in mind, we're out. Well, this hurts. I don't want to do this. Surely you don't want me to do that. When the truth is, guys, the truth is sometimes that pain we're going through might be the best possible thing in our life. Sometimes, guys, that pain that we're going through is the only thing reminding us that we need him. Sometimes he allows the pain to continue to keep us close to him. Sometimes without that pain, we would stop following him because we would have no reason to trust him. Not every time, but the point is, is that very often we forget that the, the things that he allows into our life, the things that he doesn't necessarily prevent are for a purpose. And that they actually are leading us closer to him and drawing us closer to him. And until we get that, there are going to be moments where we're, we're tempted to walk away. When things get hard, when things get tough. As we begin to say, eh, you don't really love me. You don't really care about me. If you did, you would take this out. If you did, you wouldn't allow this to happen. But the truth is, guys, is that he does love us. He does care for us. He is concerned for us. And true faith, faith that follows him no matter what, is a faith that says, you know what? Whatever you say, I'll do. Whatever you allow, I know is ultimately for the best. And so we, we see this faith that believes in his compassion, but we also see this faith that sometimes gets confused until we uh, come to him and begin to trust his wisdom. And we see this in John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the, the first cousin of Jesus who uh, was the forerunner of Christ. He was the one who came and, and showed everybody that Jesus was coming and told everybody about Jesus and basically uh, was the herald of the king. Well, John uh, did everything he was supposed to do. Uh, he actually stood up one day as Jesus was walking across the, the beach and he said, behold the son of God or behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He tells his disciples, there's the Messiah, there's the king, there's the one I've been telling you about that I said I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. This is John the, John the Baptist. He's done everything God told him to do. But then he ends up in prison. Then he ends up in prison and as Jesus is doing his ministry, things aren't getting better. And as far as John's concerned, it looks like they're getting worse on the other side of prison, right? It looks like he's going to die and in fact he does die. But before he does, he sends his disciples he says, hey guys, I want you to go talk to Jesus and ask him a question for me. We see this in verse 20 of chapter 7. And so, uh, they, they, in verse 19 actually, look at verse 19. It says, calling two of his disciples to him, uh, John does this. He sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So John is concerned. He's confused. He's questioning, did I pick the wrong guys? Did, did I have the Savior wrong? Did I have the Messiah wrong? Is Jesus really the Messiah? By the way, if you think he got it all figured out, even John the Baptist didn't have everything figured out. Even him, he had this crisis of faith. He had this moment where he said, I'm not really sure Jesus is Jesus. I'm not really sure Jesus is the Savior. I'm questioning things, and I need him to give me an answer. I need him to show me who he really is. And so he sends his disciples, and he says, do we have it right or do we have it wrong? And so Jesus begins to teach, and he, he begins to heal people right there in front of John's disciples. And so we come to verse 22, and this is Jesus' answer to John. 
And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Or, you got it right, Bubba. Like, I really am the Savior. I really am the one who's come to save God's people. I really am the Savior of the world. You got it right, John. Jesus is confirming for John his faith because John brought his confusion, he brought his doubt, he brought his concern, he brought his pain to him. So often when we go through a time of trial, when we go through a a time of doubting, a crisis of faith, we have a tendency not to take those things to Jesus. We have a tendency not to, to come to his people and begin to talk through those things and not go to his word and not pray. But instead we run away and we, we look for other answers. We look for ways to figure Jesus out without actually going to Jesus. John runs straight to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, I'm confused. I'm hurt. I'm in pain. I don't understand what's going on. And Jesus says, here, let me show you. Let me give you some comfort. Let me give you some confirmation. Guys, this morning, if you're struggling and you're saying, I I don't really get it, I don't understand, the best place to go to is Jesus. We've saw all the way up to here as we've looked at Luke's gospel, he already knows your heart. He already knows those doubts are there. You can pretend like they're not, but he knows them. The best place to take them is him. He's the one who can answer those things for you. And so he he answers John and he says, listen, I am the Messiah, I am the Savior. Come to verse 24. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of who it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus looks at the people standing there and he says, While we're on the topic of John, who is he? Is he a reed shaking in the wind? Like is he he somebody who every time the wind blows that way, he goes that way, and the wind blows that way, he goes that way? Is he somebody walking around in fancy clothes in the lap of luxury? It's like, no, those people live in king's palaces. Who did you go see? You went to go see a prophet. John was a man who wore camel hair clothes. He ate locusts and honey. You know, I've always heard that John ate locusts and honey, but until Zoe said it the other day, I didn't understand. She said he ate honey locusts. I was like, duh, that's why he ate honey, to cover up the nasty taste of the locust. But it, it never occurred to me till that moment, oh, that's why he always had to have honey. But, but anyway, beside the point, John is a crazy dude because he's living out in the wilderness. He's living out in the desert in camel hair clothes, eating locusts with honey. That's, that's his life. Jesus is like, is he some sissy dude? No. He's a prophet, and he's more than a prophet. He's actually the one that the prophet spoke about that said, you'll be the forerunner of the Messiah. You'll be the one who heralds the coming of the king. He says, in fact, as far as it's concerned, as far as people who've been born are concerned, there's nobody bigger and and greater and more mighty than John. He's maybe the most important person ever born. Except, of course, for Jesus. We come to verse 29. Or, or the end of verse 28, he says, but he who's 
the, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. In other words, your relationship to Jesus matters more than everything else in your life. Whether or not you're in the kingdom is the most important thing. And then we come to verse 29. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too. you, you got to love Luke. It, I, I mean, he doesn't let us miss anything. He says all the people, the crowds gathered there, heard it. And the tax collectors. He wants us to understand that the tax collectors are part of the folks who believe on Christ. It says they declared God just. Having been baptized with the baptism of John. When they hear what Jesus says about John, they, they're like, you're right. God is good. You're right. John is a great man. And in fact, we were baptized by him. We believe what he spoke. We believe what he said about you. But then we have the contrast to that. We have the opposite of that. The people who don't walk in faith in verse 30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, this would have been the people who knew God's law and explained God's law, rejected the purpose of God for themselves. What a terrible statement. They rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by him. That they were too good to be baptized by John. They didn't believe they needed to repent. They didn't believe they were bad enough to need grace or, or to need to repent of what they had done. They thought they could stand in judgment over John. They thought they could uh, think of John as being wrong. And so they were too proud to submit to John's teaching. And, and so they, they had rejected him. And, and then we come to verse 31. And so Jesus looks at them, and this is what he says to them. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. And you're like, what in the world's a dirge? Well, it's a sad song. And so, so Jesus says, you folks are the type of folks who, if somebody plays a happy song, you're not dancing. You're not having a good time. If somebody plays a sad song, you're not crying. You're above all that. You're too good for all of that. You're not going to be happy no matter what. I, I, I had a, what I thought was the perfect saying that fit what Jesus was talking about. Shared it in Sunday school. No one knew what I was talking about. Maybe some of you guys know what this statement is or have heard it before. Basically, what Jesus is saying to these people is, is that you would complain even if you were getting hung with a new rope. Y'all ever heard that? I googled it. It's a true statement. I was right. My son, okay, Miss Angie at least has heard it. Thank you, Miss Angie. But outside of myself, Miss Angie, for those of you who don't know... Some people would say, of those who complain no matter what, you would complain even if you're getting hung with a good new rope. In other words, even if you're in such a bad situation, you're getting hung, you complain about the rope you're about to be hung with. Uh, his point is, is that you folks are not going to be happy no matter what. He says, for John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. You're like, this dude is out there. He takes this religion stuff way too serious. And so verse 34, the son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But I've come and I go to weddings. I hang out with the tax collectors. I hang out with the sinners. And you say, oh, look at that guy. He's too loose. In other words, it doesn't matter what I do or how I say it. You're not going to be happy. And this is true for all of us, right? We all complain somewhat. We all have our moments where... We complain just to complain. I, I remember um, when, I, when I first began in ministry, I, I really tried my best to try and make everybody happy. And I remember a turning point I had. I've been pastoring for a little bit at a different church, not this church. But this, this lady, she, 
And this whole group of folks, they'd been complaining because during the song service, we sat and sat. We stood and sat. We stood and sat. We was up and down a lot. They're like, we don't like that. We want to either stand or we want to sit. And so I was like, okay, well, let's do that then. And so we started sitting during some of the singing. (laughs) It just floored me because the next week, the same folks were complaining because we were sitting while we were singing. And I was like, wait, I thought you said you didn't want to stand. And she was like, no, you don't understand, preacher. We just like to complain. I was like, oh, that makes so much sense now. My life is going to be so much easier, right? But, but it's true, right? We just like to complain. We like to put standards on who God is before we will actually worship him, before we'll actually submit to him. We want to have all of our little things just right in place. And Lord, if I'm going to worship you, this is what I expect out of you. And, it, and as I read this, what Jesus was saying, I'm reminded uh, of the way that, you know, sometimes you hear about actors before they'll go on stage or before they'll go and sing, before, you know, bands will go on stage, they'll have to have like a thousand green M&Ms in the room or, you know, water squeezed out of a glacier or whatever. And, and, and I'm, I think maybe sometimes that's the way I approach the Lord. Yeah, I'll listen to you if you meet all these demands. If you do everything I tell you I want. If you make it just perfect, the perfect situation. At that point, who are you worshiping? When you have to have everything the way you want it? The difference between these people and the, the man that we saw at the beginning, the man who made no demands on Jesus, who simply begged him, humbly submitted to him, and said, Lord, whatever you want, I'll do. The difference between that man and these folks and myself very often is that man got it. Jesus is God and I'm not. Like, I, I need to worship on his uh, standards. I need to worship according to what he says, not according to what I say. I need to follow according to who he is, not who I am. He's the boss, I'm not. Because I'm afraid that the reason why we have such a hard time walking with the Lord so often is that our faith is based more on if our demands have been met, if our ridiculous requirements of God have been achieved. I, God hit me with that this week. Um, I, I was at Fields of Faith Wednesday night, and I was listening to the different folks share, the different young people share their testimony about what God was doing in their life. And what, one of the, the girls who... I was given testimony. I guess she's really a girl. She was, you know, about ready to graduate. But to me, she seemed young. But that happens as you get older. People seem younger and younger, right? But, but she was sharing, and she was talking about how she had, you know, said some hateful things to her father. How she had basically told her father that she wished that he would go to hell because of how terribly he had treated her. How that he was, a, you know, a drunk and a drug addict and all these different things. And then she said, but then God convicted my heart for treating him that way and for speaking to him that way and, and you gotta understand I'm standing there and I'm thinking this girl has every right in the world to be angry she has every right in the world not to listen to the Lord not to obey him that's what I'm thinking and God is like no John you don't understand I'm the boss I, I'm the one who deserves your worship. I'm the one who can heal your broken hearts. I'm the one that, that can sustain you. And as she's talking, she says, you know, God just convicted me and showed me that I need to show love and compassion and, and mercy to this man who is my father who has treated me so terribly. I'm going, man, what excuses do I have to not obey the Lord? What excuses do I have 
not to do what he told me to do? What in my life am I hiding behind that, that I'm saying, you know what, Lord, if you do this, this, and this, well, then I would obey you. Well, you know, this is just who I am. Well, you don't understand, God. I, I've had it rough. You don't understand. This is how I'm wired. You don't understand. This is what someone did to me. How many things am I throwing back on him and I'm saying, no, this is actually your fault that I'm this way. When what I should be saying is, Lord, how are you wanting me to change? How am I not submitting to you? How am I not humbling myself before you? I don't deserve for you to save me. I don't deserve to serve you. You give me that privilege. You see, guys, we we have it upside down. And this girl reminded me of that. Uh, So often we approach God as if it's his privilege for us to serve him. When actually it's our privilege for us to serve him. It's our honor. You see, he's the one who deserves respect, not the other way around. It doesn't matter what we've been through. I'm not making light of the situations we find ourselves in. I have a very hard time of, of not being angry with God for situations that the other folks go through. I, I really do. But, but I was reminded of that moment where ultimately the most important thing for us to get as far as faith is concerned is that we come to that place where we say, you know what? Lord, you're the one who's on the throne. You're the one who deserves my worship. You're the one who deserves my obedience. And I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I'm going to quit hiding behind my life experiences. I'm going to quit hiding behind all the pain that I have. And I'm going to start believing and trusting that you have the power. You have the authority to fix whatever it is. And Lord, I'm going to know that even if you don't fix it the way I want you to fix it, you love me. And I'm not going to put all these demands on you and demand that you do everything the way I want you to do it. I'm just going to trust that you are wise. Jesus ultimately says, and wisdom is justified by her children. Our wisdom is as wisdom does. If you're truly wise, you're going to follow him. It really doesn't matter. Everything else uh, fades away. And the, the truth is, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is either you're following him or you're not. Either you're trusting him or you're not. And I just wonder this morning, guys, and I don't know, I don't know what everyone's going through this morning, but I know that we all find ourselves going through things at different moments in life. And even out on the other end of those things, even on the other end of the pain, even, even when God does fix things, some of those things leave scars. Some of those hurts and those pains are so deep, they never really go away. They never really heal. And we carry, carry them with us for the rest of our lives. And, and I just wonder if, if you're looking at some of those things in your life and you're saying, Lord, I would follow you, but this, but that. If you will fix this, this, and this, and then I'll finally be free to follow you. If that's you this morning, can, can I just ask you, would you let go of that? Would you let go of that pain and say, Lord, I trust you. I know that you love me. I know that you have compassion on me, and I know your heart breaks for me even when I don't see it, even when I don't understand. Would you, in humility this morning, be reminded of the fact that Jesus ultimately has all authority, and even when you don't see him at work, he is, that he can speak the word and fix you. He can speak the word and change you. He can speak the word and heal you. Would you submit to his authority? Would you humbly come under him and ask him for his help. If you've never believed on him, if you've never trusted on him, would you say, Lord, would you save me?
Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you, would you bring me to yourself? Would you make me a new person? And guess what he will say? Yes, I will. It'll be a journey, but I will. See, Jesus, he, he goes all the way to the cross. And you guys know this. I say this every single Sunday, or at least I try to. Jesus goes all the way to the cross. And when he gets to the cross, he dies in our place. And guys, the reason why he died in our place is because we couldn't. Like, we could never make up for what we have done. We could never make up for the, the, the crimes we've committed against him. As much as we hurt and as much pain as we feel, we've caused him more. But Jesus went to the cross anyway. And on the cross, he paid for our crimes. He paid for our sins. He paid for the pain that we have caused him. And after he paid for that, after he died and after he was buried, he rose again. And he offers to anyone who believe on him, anyone who will trust on him eternal life. He says, I know you're broken. I know you're messed up. I'm not asking you to fix yourself. I'm asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to follow me. That's what he says to you this morning. Will you follow me? If you've never believed on him, you've never trusted on him. Would you do just that this morning? I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray, we're going to have a moment of invitation. During this moment of invitation, I, I just want to ask you, I, what is God working in your heart? What is God doing? Have you truly put your faith in him? Let's pray. Father, I thank you.